Welcome to Brazen Education with Educator Barnes, a podcast with a focus on speaking your truth, being transparent to help others, and having no shame about it. Because we can't move forward until the truth is known. Well, welcome back. We are here to continue the Black homeschooling conversation. As I've said so many times before, Black people aren't a monolith, which means Black homeschooling is not a monolith. And there are so many people that are part of the Black homeschooling movement, but it started way before the pandemic. During the pandemic, um, there was a lot more attention to Black homeschooling because many students went into homeschooling and they didn't go back into the classroom setting and many of those students are thriving so i thought it was super important to continue this conversation because i know there's other families out there that are thinking about doing it but when you send your kids off to school your burden and your load is a little bit lighter you kind of send them off and you hope that things go well but when you are are homeschooling on that burden falls on you and sometimes that feels overwhelming but as many people have found from my um, previous um guests um hearing it how it's done for other people have made it seem like, oh, this might be more feasible. So I wanted to invite a couple more people on to continue uh, this conversation. So with us today, we have Osset Reed, who is a homeschool educator, and we have Lynette Cora Bell, who is a traveling homeschool nana. Ladies, thank you uh, for participating in our show today. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, let's get into it. How do you guys decide, like, you wanted to homeschool? Like, what were the events that led to you um, taking this path? And then when did you take start this journey? Lynette, you want to go first? Okay, sure. Um, well, listen, um, I had been in education for years with my daughters, of course. And so I was always that PTA president or PTA secretary or legislative chair. And I just followed the education system. Um, my oldest is now 37 and my youngest is 33. So I've been in the education arena for a while. And not only that, now my granddaughter, she is um, or was in um, the, the educational arena. And so after a couple years with her, we decided it was time to take her out because nothing had changed, you know. Um, all the lobbying, all the advocacy that I did, nothing really had changed. It's a new set of parents, new set of administrators, but the same issues. So it was time. It was just time. It was time. So that's why we decided to, um, we actually took her out going into her second semester of the second grade. And she's now in the seventh grade. So we took her out. Right before, well, long before the pandemic. Um, so I'm, I'm just glad we made that decision. It's been great thus far. Well, in our homeschool family, I'm the only one who's ever been to school. My children have never been to um, a school before, and they've participated in school programs, but not enrolled in the public school system. Mm -hmm. And how we got started, I had no intention. I was a classroom teacher. I was loving that, you know, with nuance. <laughs> I was loving that. And so I thought that that is what I would return to do. 
But when um, our young, our oldest of the youngest, who's currently 17, when he was approaching school age, he was ready before they would allow him because of his birthday. And by the time he was old enough to go, he was reading fluently and doing things that kind of indicated to us that if he were to go into the kindergarten program, that he would be asked to work below the level that he had already excitedly achieved on his own. So all of the young, our younger children are all two years apart. So as our 17-year-old got old enough to go to school. Not long after that, his sister was born. And then not long after that, his brother was born. So we thought that we would send them when the three of them were old enough to be able to go to school together and kind of share in that experience so no one would be home alone. But by the time they were five, seven, and nine and able to go into the building, we had been able to um, explore some beautiful things and they were doing some things that just made the classroom seem like it would have been more of a behavior problem situation because they were already reading well and working with math. And so homeschool kind of landed in our lap because our oldest two of the youngest set of children, their birthdays fell after the, um, the school cutoff. And so we just kind of found ourselves in a position where the children were ready to do something and we wanted to meet them where they were. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. So uh, with you being a teacher, were there some things that you had concerns about that your kids might be exposed to or not get to be able to be exposed to if they wouldn't to the school system? I mean, do your kids ever say that, oh, I want to go to school? Like, do they feel like they missed out so they never had that experience? Because we've always been community schoolers, they have never really missed out on the things that the children in school systems participate in. So like going to the library with their peers, you know, and people older and younger than them going on field trips. So some of the social aspects of school they were able to participate in. And because I was a teacher and I knew that there were some things that could benefit them that we couldn't get all gathered around the table like the Waltons, um, we always were involved in the community. And I, I was lucky, air quotes, my first job out of school, I was like W.E.B. Du Bois. I would go into um, neighborhoods where there was public housing and work with young people parents that had children. And so basically I would design, you know, curriculum for them to work with their young babies while they were in transition from high school to working or something like that. So my first job was kind of as a homeschooler and there were nearly not the same amount of resources then back in, let's see, the late 80s, early 90s as there are now. So it was really like like the wild, wild west at that point. But um, no, I never really had any concerns being an intensive resource special education teacher and being in the building. I was more excited about what they wouldn't have the chance to experience than concerned about what they would miss out on. 
you dropped the term because we've had a lot of terms in this conversation. We've had black world schooling, we've had unschooling, and you said community schooling, which we haven't had that term um, talked about. So, so could you define that for our audience? What you mean when you said you are part of like a community homeschooling? Like, what do you mean by that? Well, we were actually doing instead of being in our home and the school and the process being revolving around our home. Instead, it revolved around the local library. It revolved around the other children, like the people that we actually, you know, from like uh, Sesame Street, the people that you meet when you're walking down the street. We actually engaged in learning with the people that were actually around us. So other business owners, other homeschoolers, the community college, because none of that was going to knock on our door and say, hey, we have kids in here <laughs> that you're trying to educate and we want to offer you this stuff. We actually had to go out into the world and find things for them to do based on their interests. So community school is just that mm -hmm. with the people that you're actually in community with. Gotcha. And Lynette, you refer to yourself as a homeschooling nana and coach. Can you tell us what you mean by that and kind of what do you do on your day to day in, in that role? Well, basically, when I, of course, I'm a nana, three grandchildren. And when I say um, traveling, because two of my grandchildren, stay out of state okay so um when i go of course i relieve my daughter <laughs> and i'll pick up you know and and work with them during that time that i'm there um but basically the learning coach position uh that we call ourselves um we're there to, to guide them along, to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do daily, to make sure that they're in all of their classes. But I think more important, my granddaughter had the opportunity to go out, just like Horsey said, in the community. You know, we don't just sit, you know, in, in the confinement of the four walls. Um, we're able to go out and explore daily, you know, so whatever she's actually working on in school, she can still go out um, in the community, you know, and participate in different things. Um, just like learning the educate, not so much the education, the financial part of it. We really don't get that in school, you know. So when we're talking about the financial literacy, you know, being able to um, go to the store, um, utilize the, the money system, go into the grocery store, shop, go and pay for your, your goods to make sure you're getting the right amount of change back. Um, she also have her debit card, so she knows how to do that. Uh, just opened up a uh, Bitcoin account, you know, so she's nice. able to learn more of the life skills that it's going to take us way beyond where we are just in the four walls. Okay. So you're the first person I've talked to um, recently that, um, that is a Nana, a grandmother who is involved in homeschooling. Cause many times 
people think of like the mom or the dad that's involved in homeschooling. So I appreciate that you're bringing um, like the grandmother uh, perspective. Um, what do you have to say to other grandparents who are like, I don't know about like helping my kids like learn. Like I'm, 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 I'm too far removed from schooling myself to help. Like what, what have you done to kind of keep yourself in the know, you know, for the things that you want uh, your granddaughter to know? Because you talked about, you know, financial literacy, you talked about Bitcoin. So what type of resources are you using? I mean, what do you say to other grandparents who think that they may be too far removed from school to even imagine doing this? Well, let me, let me just say this. I thought I was a little removed, but I've always been into the researching, the advocacy of the children, you know, um, being a mother have definitely put me into that arena um, to be able, and I've always been a resourceful person. So I'm going to find, you know, resources that's going to help. Not only mine is going to benefit uh, those others that, that surround me. And so I've always kept that, you know, in the forefront. But um, the school that she attends, they have so many resources, you know, as well. Um, the instructors are great. Uh, it's just, it's a community, you know, as well. And so being a grandmother, I would say this to other grandmothers or grandparents, I should say. If you are able, you know, if you're home and you're able you're really not doing a whole lot of educating your, you know, uh, with the educational. She have her teachers there in front of her. She have her, uh, again, her resources, her curriculum. We're there to guide them along, just like we do on a daily basis with our kids and with our grandkids, you know. So I'm not so much, we're, we shouldn't even feel that we're removed from that system just because the, the parents are not there to do it. And I took on this challenge. I'm the one told my daughter, we got to take her out. We have to take her out. And she said, mom, you know, I'm not going to be able to do it. You know, because she was working. She's still working in her work hours. I said, I'm in. I'm, I'm going to do this. So I would just say, if you are a grandparent, because there's a lot of grandparents that's actually forced to be in the position to homeschool or even take care of their grandchildren. So if you're not in that position and you're home every day, listen, we gotta think about the next generations to come. And I feel that as a grandmother, <clears throat> that's just what we do, okay? So <laughs> I'll turn I I would love to share something on that grandmother topic as well. As we come oh, up on as we come up on a year of my own mother passing, I would say that grandparents are most beneficial to the homeschool or I'll just say homeschool as the most broad term understanding that some people mm -hmm. have some nuance with that. But my mom was so instrumental in teaching a lot of the soft skills, the people skills, and she was a natural storyteller. So she shared a lot of historical information with them. She shared, 
really everything that she knew how to do, sewing, cooking, mm -hmm. all of that. And so grandparents mm -hmm. are a most beneficial aspect if they have the time and the energy available. And um, it even turned into, as my mom was getting older and moving on, like the children started doing her laundry. But these were things that she helped them to learn how to do from when they were younger. So we, you know, homeschooling parents, we love when grandmas get involved, aunties get involved. I know my eldest son who's in his thirties is watching. And so he was active. Like we were really a community. It's not just, I could never be the kind of person that could stand up and be like, yes, I did all. No, it's been a we thing the entire time. And grandparents have been a most, again, one of the most beneficial resources we've had access to throughout this experience. And I think you ladies are hitting home on this um, thought about families, because in America, I think you kind of people, when they think about family, they think about the mom, dad, 2.5 children, the white picket fence, and that's your family unit. But when I think about what I know about different um, tribes in Africa and how we think about that you think about community or you think about multi-generational interactions. And I think nowadays you kind of have people off in silos and people don't feel it's their responsibility to help with mm -hmm. grandchildren or great nieces and great nephews. Um, but you guys are showing like there is that benefit of sometimes I even think of my own kids sometimes uh, cause my dad passed two years ago. Sometimes my dad can say something to my sons in a way that would help them like hear it, even though I had said it like 50 times. Um, so I think sometimes we miss out on uh, those gems. And then also uh, when you are the adult child of your parent, you know, they feel like you already know all this stuff. But sometimes I learn things from my dad or stories that he would tell to my kids that he just never thought to tell to me. And so uh, I feel like grandkids, First of all, whoever your parents were when they raised you are not who they are with your kids. They're a whole other people. It's like, oh, they're getting dessert before dinner? Like, who are you? Because this is not the person that raised me. Um, but it brings out a different element of your parents. And so I think the thing I love the most about that uh, multi-generational interaction, you see a different side of the grandparent, and you also see a different uh, side of the grandchild, uh, and that all coming together. So I think that that's super important. So, um, Austin, you um, mentioned that, um, you know, your kids are older now. Uh, what are some of the benefits that they have shared um, about being at homeschool? Like, what did they like the most about it? You know, I we have this kind of conversation all the time, but they usually notice what they have in homeschool when they're around their peers that don't have that experience. So mm. I think the biggest thing that is what we love the most is that we're very bonded through this experience. And there are like, so we're a team, you know, the family unit and a team, but also people have their individual strong suits. And whenever one is moving on to do their thing. So my daughter is a professional griot. So when she has performances to do, we're all there. Everyone's helping. Everyone's supporting. They all do storytelling, but she's the professional. Then when the boys have something going on, then she's there for them. So I think what we've grown to appreciate the most 
is that we're quite bonded through this experience. The relationship that we have with each other is what's important. And so it must be working because even with our older children, we were able to like, they went to public school, but they were also homeschooled in the evening. Remember the rock cycle, Donnie? So like, I wanted to make sure that what the report card said was accurate. And it didn't matter to anyone more than it mattered to us, right? The teacher could write whatever on the paper that could make themselves look good or the school look good, but we're invested in the children and how that has an impact on them. So I think that's the biggest thing. And that's always the, the part that we do together. Like we're extremely bonded. And I liked how you mentioned the evaluation because on the first episode, when we talked about this topic, um, we talked about evaluating like your homeschooling. How do you know your kids have, have what you want them to have? But what was very interesting is kind of what you mentioned about the report card. Report cards are systems that we use to communicate to families how your kid is doing. But sometimes report cards give us information about things that we want to know about, but it also doesn't tell us about things that we want to know about. And so, um, Lynette and Osset, what are some things when you guys are like evaluating and observing um, in homeschooling, what are some things that you are hoping that your kids are learning? And how did you observe or tell that they were like mastering it are getting good at it because I think that's the other piece people feel like if I go into homeschooling, how do I know if I'm doing a good job? Am I going to mess my kid up? Because I think that's what some people are fearing that they will somehow do educational harm um, if they're like unmonitored and doing this homeschooling thing, you know, even if they're out in the community going to different places, like how do I know if I'm doing a good job and how do I know what I should be evaluating uh, my kids on and, and what are those things? So I would love to hear uh, your thoughts on this because Letty's last time had some interesting thoughts as well. <laughs> okay, well, I can say as far as um, with my granddaughter, what we have is, of course, when they're getting their, they have benchmarks, they have the checkpoints, they have the mastery. So along each one of those um, lines, you get to see the growth, you get to see if there's a stagnant or you need to increase in some areas within that subject, you know, matter. Um, of course, keep in mind when we're saying homeschool, there's two different types of homeschools. We, of course, we know that. One is you have no, you're the teacher, you're the educator. Then you have the learning coach you have your teachers, it's a virtue academy. So you have your instructors in front of your, your student, but you're, again, the learning coach, you're helping your child along in those areas that you're, you're kind of nudging them and saying, okay, as my granddaughter would always say, because I, I always tell her, Leah, are you online? <laughs> Are you online? So that sticks in her. And so we laugh all the time about that. And so, again, what we're there to do is to say, okay, if you didn't make it to this class, why you didn't make it to this class? You know, um, what is it that you need to be doing differently? Do you need to um, get up a little earlier, you know, uh, to work on this subject? Or uh, what is it? why you're not 
where you supposed to be at this time, you know. And so with the teachers, with the learning coach and with the student, when I was in regular school, <laughs> um, we used to have what we call resource coordinating teams. And that's where every possible um, instructor from the, the, the psychologist, sociologist, all of them, we would get together with the parent and the student. So this kind of puts me into that same, you know, mode of, of thinking. Um, so again, if, if they're lagging behind, we can always do a one-on-one -on -one with the um, teacher and the student, the parent, or and um, the learning coach, okay? So I would say um, th those are things, like I say, because you're in your lessons, in her lessons, you have checkpoints. Um, you can see the grades that they're getting. Um, the teachers say, okay, no, we can ready to go. But you, you get from that point, now let's see how you can get to the mastery. And so if you need to go back and you need to reread something, uh, you need to work on some more problems, we're there for that. That's what we're there to do. Help. So I like how you added on um, about like the two kinds of homeschooling, because you have the homeschooling where the parent, Nana, they're making the curriculum, they're finding the curriculum. But you also have the homeschooling where you're either in a co-op or a community situation where you may be like one family provides the science teacher and you may be teaching reading. And then you also have that aspect of you can outsource some of the teaching to participate in a virtual school, um, but you're still at home and you kind of have some mm -hmm. choice with when you log in. Because I think, I think many parents feel like, okay, I got kindergarten, I got first and second grade, but mm -hmm. as we start getting up to the older thing, that's when people, cause I, cause the pandemic started, um, Mike boys were in third grade and we started struggling with long division. And I want to tell you, my husband and I, we got to the point where we were sounding like those parents where they were like <laughs> two plus two, like you know, you're just uh, making your voice so loud. And I'm like, what, how did you just do the step here? And then you just repeat it. Um, and so for me, um, there was a teacher that I knew at their school. It wasn't actually their classroom teacher. I said, look, <laughs> I have tried to break this down. I even found a little video where people was dancing and singing, talking about bring it on back. The vine, multiply, and subtract. Bring right. it on down and bring it on back. <laughs> we watched that whole video, we're not getting it. So I had to outsource it. And so I think it's great for you to share, Lynette, like there are some options if there's something that either A, you know how to do, but the execution, I it's not happening or um, you were just like, I'm not comfortable with doing that because I think that will lessen the load um, for people who are considering that. So they don't feel like they have to be the resource and knowledge um, mm -hmm. of everything because as kids to get to high school, that's just an unreasonable thing for you to try to do um, everything. So um, said uh, kind of the same question for you. How are you evaluating how your homeschool experience was going um, for your children? Like what, what tools did you use to, to, to try to say that they were doing well or struggling? Like, what did you do? Wow. In the beginning, I tried to always make sure, like in the elementary school years, I was really concerned about the reading process. And my kids never cared about what I was concerned about either. So when I was interested in teaching reading, no, thank you. 
Um, so the first one, he taught himself to read. So I never had to evaluate that by the, like his first books he was reading fluently after we did some, um, I think it was like frog and toad kind of books. We went straight to Calvin and Hobbes. If you know Calvin and Hobbes, you know, I don't need to get involved in that at all. And then he wanted his, he wanted to be able to crack jokes with his sister. So he gave her a game called Scribble Knots on the 2DS. And it's like a spelling and vocabulary game. And so that's how she learned to read. And then when the youngest, who's now 14, I was like, okay, I'm going to teach somebody to read. Like, come on now. I have all these skills. And he was not interested until we got to the point about um, maybe like seven. And then I was like, hey, let's try it again. And he was like, oh, yeah, I already know how to do it now. So I always went by them and what they wanted. So when they were ready to learn math, I didn't really have to do very much, but give them some resources and they were like on it. This is what they wanted to do. So now I kind of focus more now that they're all um, going to college, they are dual enrolled. So they're all in some level of high school and college. So now I'm really just the coach now. I'm really not. So before, I guess our measuring tool was, what do you want to do? Did you do that? You know, are you good at it? Do you want to move on or do you want to go further? So it's always been work to mastery or work to interest, except for now that we're in high school, you know, there's things like academic testing and things that they need to do to, you know, measure up in the college terms. But I'm kind of radical. I'm more along the lines of, you know, pedagogy of the oppressed type deal. Want to remove as much, uh, you know, patriarchy, colonization, all that kind of stuff from their educational experience. So therefore, that means I'm not really in here orchestrating a whole lot. I'm creating a foundation and I'm coaching, but it's kind of not my business that way. Like my goal is to make sure that they're whole people and that may or may not mean that they're, you know, intellectually developed to a high degree or whatever, but are that, you know, can they function in the world? Do they understand their material condition? Do they understand the steps that they need to take to acquire what they want? We more so focus on that. All the other stuff, you know, they'll pick it up with the exception of our cultural history. That is one thing that I'm like adamant about. So this year is the eldest, it's his Sankofa year. So he's looking back on our educational experience and figuring out what tools he has in his tool belt to figure out what he wants to do. Because they have a different life experience than I do, I had to know what I wanted to do because I had to make a different type of contribution to my family based on our material condition. My children don't have that concern. So they can do things like take gap years, you know, or work in a family business and hang out at the gym and play video games because they have that luxury. So our planning for what they do when they get out in the world is vastly different than 
what we had, what our older boys that are in their early 30s had, because their life is entirely different post-pandemic or, you know, still in the middle of the pandemic and what that means in terms of how they interact and engage with others in the world. I feel like if they're whole people, they know how to think, they're going to be all right. <laughs> they're going to be all right. Well, no, I appreciate what you're saying about because you're really analyzing what does it mean to be educated, right? Because when you think about the school system, there are people that get together, they make state standards, and they say, if you master these state standards, this is what it means to be educated. But we all know, because you're watching the, you know, those little late night shows, they'll ask people some random history questions that they can't answer it. But those people not being able to answer fifth grade history questions doesn't mean that they're not successful in what they consider success in America. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I really like how that partners really well with like, I'm looking at my kids' interests, what are they interested in? Um, both of you, you guys like, they got to know how to read, which I mean, I think we all would agree that that's an important element of mm -hmm. like survival. But then when it comes to like what history um, that we're learning, what we're exploring and we're partnering that with their interest area and then what they want to do in life, um, that begs the question of what is actually needed. Um, and when you think about black homeschooling, there's there's reasons why we do it. When you look at mainstream homeschooling, it's normally like very, very conservative Christian values that may have driven people out of the school system. But when you look at black homeschooling, there's also this sense of belonging, um, seeing our kids as like these human beings that we're walking beside and coaching and partnering with. We're not necessarily doing education to our kids. We're kind of walking alongside uh, our kids. And so Lynette, um, I'll start talking a little bit about like the Stankofa year and having that cultural piece. Um, are there any like pieces like that that's been added um, with your granddaughter or when you're doing your traveling, homeschooling Nana piece? Um, not something that's been added that they wouldn't necessarily get from the school system. Well, um, let me just say, uh, yes, because my granddaughter, she actually have a online store that she created three years ago. Tell us the name of the store. Yes. <laughs> it's Alaya's Destiny World. And okay. actually it's E-L-I-J-A-H-S, Destiny World. Okay. Okay. And um, she wanted, she said, Nana, I want to, I want to do something. You know, she, she's almost like a little chemist as well. So she created nice. her um hand sanitizer when we couldn't find any hand sanitizer during the pandemic she decided to create her own sanitizer okay nice. um and so that had given her the opportunity to be or have an economic base to learn economics that financial literacy mathematical all of that plays together you know um, as far as traveling, we've had the opportunity, of course, we didn't have to wait till summer to travel. Right. As long as you have your computer or phone, you still logging in wherever you are, wherever you, you can go anywhere. So it's 
It's a convenience as well, but it also gave her the opportunity to visit states that a lot of people just don't have the opportunity to go, you know. Mm -hmm. So that have really given us um, or have given her the opportunity just to kind of just see things different, you know, as opposed to just being in your own city, in your own community, to be able to go outside of and see how others live, you know? And um, so it's, it's, it's been great. It's been it a has. great journey, it has. Yes. No, I love that traveling piece, I love that. I wanted yes. to add one thing because I'm sure that there's someone that's watching that's like, so she'll never check and see if her kids can know really how to do multiplication or anything. <laughs> so this is how I know that things are working. Uh, our middle child was asked to be a guest presenter for a racial justice poetry contest that's coming up on the 30th. And so her mentor also asked her to perform as Harriet Tubman. That's a big honor to step into those shoes. And so how I know that what we're talking about and what we're discussing in terms of U.S. history is having an impact on her life, because for the last three days, she has been doing collegiate level research to ensure that her Harriet Tubman portrayal is historically accurate because in her training, let me just shout out Grand Grill Literacy Learning Program, in her training from her mentors in that program, that is something that they have made very clear to them. In the African oral tradition, if you are giving your interpretation, then you make sure that that you're speaking to understand that this is your interpretation, or if you are speaking direct quotes and experiencing experiences from a person's life. And so to hear her come to me and be like, Mom, the book that we were reading, this was inaccurate. Or we were watching a trailer for the new movie, The Color Purple. And she was like, I like how they mixed uh, post-reconstruction as well as civil rights era issues in there. Like, I don't see Fannie Lou Hamer, but I guess she'll make a cameo. And I'm like, yes, yes. Yes, the political education, the understanding of the fact that people are going to present our history in a way that may not necessarily be accurate. But the fact that she is saying, I know that this isn't accurate and I have a responsibility to make sure that this is correct and this demonstrates skills that I've been learning, I'm like, yes, they're paying attention. <laughs> well, it really goes back to good education because as, as an educator, you know, we always try to get those real world experience, right? But a lot of times we just can't do those. So to have your daughter be able to, well, I'm going to do research and then I'm going to fact check and then I am going to present this and perform, like that's like that full circle learning cycle that we really, really want. And there was many people, just many historical people, you find out that people are sharing quotes on the internet that are fake. They're not even real. Uh, people are just making up stuff. And so even the fact that she has that education about 
how do I discern a reputable source to make sure what I'm looking for um, is is real? Um, so I really, really love that you followed up with that extra uh, information because, you know, I try to cover all the things that people may think about. Well, they didn't talk about that. Um, but I think uh, think that's really, really important. And can you remind us one more time of the name of that literacy um, group oh. that you shouted out? Yes, it's the Growing Grio Literacy Learning Program. It's a program that's based here in Baltimore. Well, not anymore. Because of the pandemic, we were able to reach children in uh, Utah, in Georgia, in all different places. But um, yes, there's a program started here in Baltimore City. The goal was to help improve the literacy of children that were graduating from Baltimore City Public Schools without the solid reading and math skills. And they do this in the African oral tradition. So the children for the past several years would study, they would with African folk tales and learn to retell them. And then they would write their own story and then they would do living biographies and then they would follow up with the oral history interview. So Baba George was one of the people that the children interviewed and did an oral history for, which has translated into them now being docents for the National Great Blacks and Wax Museum. So it's like wow. the things that we do have really been able to position them well to take the skills that we've learned in the community because we found out about growing grill doing what hanging out in the library <laughs> so just being out and about in the community has given us a lot of opportunities that we otherwise wouldn't have had you know, we're out and about talking and then we meet an elder and then they say hey I do you know crochet or whatever you guys should come by and learn how to do this so we meet an artist they do sculpture hey hang out in the studio and learn how to do this so it has been if I could go back in time not knowing I would still make this choice if I could go back in time and know I would still make this choice knowing full well that there are days when I call my husband at work and I'm like, there might not be three when you get home. <laughs> might not. <laughs> I hope you're not too attached. <laughs> <laughs> or the days when you feel very much like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. You know what I mean? They don't appear to be too interested right now. They seem to have some complaint about what we're doing. I don't know if this is right. But since I experienced that in the building, too, I figured that's just how teenagers are. So <laughs> I will say there are there are those phases. Um, even cause my sons are there. I have twins, so they're 12. And uh, tomorrow will be their last day of sixth grade. Cause school year oh, congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm excited to have them home. I know some parents are all like, oh, my kids are coming home. But like I miss my kids when they're at school. So the summertime, we try to plan a, just like a lot of things getting out in the community and and doing stuff. Um, but they had that whole kind of like mm, I don't want to hug. Mm, I, do you want no? So I I think it's just like a kid thing that you just, we just hit a certain when puberty starts happening, hormones are going. We just kind of just like eh, shoulder shrug to everything. It doesn't matter what I say. You want some ice cream? Yeah. I'm like what. But you know everything's meth. Yeah, yeah, meth. That's exactly what it is. I'm like, what? What is going on? <laughs> like, like, what is this? 
Um, but what you mentioned um, um, about college and dual enroll, and I think this is the real fear that people have about when my kid finish high school, can they get into college? Like, what do I give to prove that my kid actually went to school or knows stuff? So could you guys talk a little bit about, like, what does that transition looks like when, I guess, homeschool reps? They're kind of like they're in their senior year, and now we want to go, maybe we want to go to college, if that's the path. That may not be the path, because um, it could be something else. But whatever that is, um, and I know you guys are um, not necessarily in the same um, location, so maybe different state by state or path by path. But I think some parents, they feel like I can do it for elementary and middle school, but I better put them into high school because, you know, so they can have, be ready for that next step. So I would love to hear your kind of your thoughts about that as well. Wow. Well, listen, I'm, I'm going to say this because my granddaughter, she's going to the eighth grade. But um, yeah, she's only going to the eighth grade. I have a dear friend, um, her son is graduating on the 26th, I believe. Yeah, Latasha, she was on your show. And her story, I mean, from start to finish, he's graduating from homeschool. This is the first person that I actually know that have been homeschooled and they're graduating. So just to sit back and listen to her story is phenomenal. I can't really speak about now what I can speak on since so she's only going to the eighth grade. Um, they have, I mean, count their counselors are there, you know, um, to guide them along. Uh, she has a career path. Um, it's an online career path. And so you go on um, if your intentions is to do a trade or college or, you know, uh, it kind of direct you and you can really pick whatever you want to pick. And then it'll give you all of these different, you know, options, you know. And so, you know, we're going to see uh, where, where it leads us. Now, she really wants to go back into the brick and mortar. Okay. Um, I think a lot of times, you know, she, she's missing the the social butterfly you know uh situation although she's in dance so she have a lot of friends there she does other you know little things outside but um she's saying I'm, I'm you know missing i guess just being in that environment but all the time that environment may not be <laughs> the best environment <laughs> so um you know so we're we're trying to work through that and we'll see. You, could you said that um, if I do you think that if she had never went to school that she would have those feelings? I know this is all hypothetical. <laughs> I, I really believe so, because she we just had that conversation and she was like, Nana, if I if I never would have um, had the opportunity, you know, to even go in school, then I wouldn't even know, you know, so basically it's out of sight, out of mind. If she, she never was there, she would not have missed anything, you know, but since she had that small opportunity, then, you know. <laughs> but <laughs> even in eighth grade for her to have like that career path, because I think many times people forget, like the whole point of an education is that you become like a well-rounded, whole individual that you may get out of the nest and take care of yourself. And so 
we many times are like, oh, junior, senior year, well, think about it. But I like how you're saying that even in eighth grade, we're already thinking about these are the potential career path because then you can really tailor the education towards what that career um, path uh, may be. Um, so yes. I'll let you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, your experience with like that transition from like finishing homeschool into like, quote unquote, the real world. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. So even though our 17 year old is the, you know, closest to graduating in the state of Maryland, you have to stay enrolled in homeschool until you're 18. You can graduate before that, but you're still, you still have some status of like dual enrolled or whatever. So, um, so in Maryland, that's the case for us. So they have to stay on paper until 18. However, when the pandemic started and everything just kind of like shut down, I said to the children, we have no real way, like the world is entirely different now. Nothing from this point forward is like it was, and it can't even go back to that. So now we have to figure out where we are. So in talking with the children, they were all ready to move on and study at college. So my daughter is most interested in arts. So she took piano, she took guitar, and she did a creative writing class. That fits very well into who she is. She says she wants to be a teacher. So she's using these uh, skills as a way of providing education. So she does Creole P, she does some singing, some playing. So it's, it was time for her to move on. There was, there was nothing that was on the high school checklist. There's, there's nothing left for them really to accomplish. But in Maryland, you have to be homeschooling until a certain time. So we'll be dual enrolled until um, the youngest will start a full-time job in the summer, even though is, you know, only 14. He's about a first, second level help desk professional and has been so for the last four or five years. Mm. There's no reason to hold this dude back. The eldest that is 17 has really just been humoring me the last 17 years. Every time I check to see where he is, he's three steps ahead of that. So when I said, ooh, let's do an assessment to see where you are with reading, there was not a K through 12 assessment that was challenging him. He had just moved on. So that's kind of where they told me that it was time to move on. I'm checking off all the boxes, right? You have to have this, you have to have that. Also, we have an interesting dynamic in our family. My husband is quite accomplished, and his route didn't include college. I'm quite accomplished, and I have an advanced degree. You could do it either way. You could do a little bit of what mom did. You could do a little bit of what dad did. And I know that it's going to be okay because I have children in their 30s <laughs> who went to high school, got diplomas, went on to community college, and are doing entirely different things. The thing that our eldest loved the most, music, he took a break from pursuing music to do what he thought was right. 
to follow all the stuff we told him to do. So now that he's not operating in the parentheses anymore, the kid's flying. So rather than put my kids in the younger set in that predicament, I'm just going to let them fly now because they're not being uh, raised to leave the house. I've spent a lot of time investing and molding and shaping. If you want to do laundry, you're going to do laundry around here. If you're going to cook, you're going to cook around here. If you're going to clean, you're going to clean around here. And eventually, yes, you will you know, want to do something different and move on. But I need a return on my investment. I've put a lot of time in, so you're not going nowhere. You're not going to take the paycheck and start all over. You can grow right here. And then when you're ready to move on, you can. Because how many of them leave and come back home? Because they're not ready. But people say, you're 18. You graduated from high school. You should be contributing to the household. You should have a job. Let's be honest. 18 and 4 not that much difference and i'm not saying that in like a old people way but i'm just saying their their temperament their hormones their ability to manage conflict their coping strategies they're about the same when my older boys were 16 and 17 when our you know oldest of the youngest was born their toddler years and that transition into adulthood it's the same behaviors you got to tell people to clean their room. You got to tell people to be home on time. You know, they still need a lot. So they're being groomed to take all that they've learned that's in that big old basket when they graduate from high school. They're going to share it with mama and daddy because that's where they got it from. And then when they're ready to move on, they can share it with Craig and them. <laughs> it goes back to what we've been talking about this whole entire episode of like, Black homeschooling also goes to what black families look like. Um, and many times I think there's been some trauma for some black people like you 18 get out and then people aren't prepared. And if you think about um, different cultures where you have that multi-generational, we're not not putting mama in the nursing home. Mama's going to stay with us. So you got grandma, great grandma. Uh, you got mom here. You got kids here. You got grandkids here. And I think sometimes we have to get out of like whatever we think is the norm or what society says it is. That is okay if everyone's okay with the situation. If the adult parents are okay with the adult children still being there and they're being productive, contributing back to the household because contribution doesn't always have to be money. <laughs> contribution could be I'm cooking the dinner every time uh, for the family. Contribution could be I'm taking care of the lawn. Um, so I think we have to really think, rethink about what does family look like? What are our expectations? And know that those expectations don't have to be the expectation that we think and they have to be. So as we're coming to the close of this episode, and this has been so wonderful, both of you have given me, me things to think about um, myself as a parent and as an educator. Um, could you guys give us just like one closing thought that you want to leave with our audience before we wrap it up? I would say for anybody who's feeling like they can't do this, I would say look at Black people, African people, post-emancipation. Since Juneteenth coming up and everybody want to have this Juneteenth thing, let me throw some political education out there. What did Black people do when they got free? 
they went and found their mama, their daddy, their sister, their brother. They set up institutions. They participated in mutual aid. And you could do all of those things while you homeschool. You could go to work and homeschool. You could still go get the bag. We have a family business and have always had one since the younger kids. I mean, well, all of our children, we had a recording studio for several years, and now we're videographers. We do live streaming. And the children have been participating in that the entire time. We've been homeschooling the entire time. As a matter of fact, I'm my husband's business partner, but he really looks for our youngest baby. <laughs> When he needs help, right? But we have to have a, a an adult age. So in closing, you can do it. You can do it. It's extremely doable. Thank you, Asset. Lynette? Listen, I totally agree with Asset. You know, um, we have to, to me, go back. Think about what did our ancestors do or even our grand, great-grandmothers or grandfathers, you know, they were a family unit you know when it says um it takes a village to raise a child it takes a village plus some okay um so if i see that my neighbor's kids doing something i've always been that way oh i'm gonna check in and i'm you know that's how it used to be back when i was in school nowadays the parents now they're, they're too too ready to jump off on people without, you know, really, I think we just need more parenting skills, you know, um, and just, I think we need more of a well-rounded, you know, um, sessions for parents, you know, and yes. there's no, I'm, I wouldn't say there's no book, but there is a book and I always say the Bible would be that, um, getting getting all the information you need before you leave here okay and so um just just having a tool and resources you know but keep in mind great grandma is 40 now grandma is 20. you know i'm being a little funny but you know what i'm saying it is the we're losing something each each generation is is being stripped and with that stripping comes less of what we're supposed to be doing as a family unit. And so I think just just sitting back and say, look, um, we gotta do this together, you know, just like together. Yeah. So parents out there, if this is something that you truly, truly think that you can't do, you can do it. You can do it. And furthermore, grandparents, you get yes. this. Yes. Well, Lynette and Asset, you guys have been wonderful guests. Uh, I'm You dropped so much wisdom and you made us feel like we can do this. Yes. Uh, so thank you so much for taking some time out with us this evening and sharing your knowledge with us. And if you're, if you're listening or watching and you're a homeschool parent and you would like to join this conversation, please reach out uh, to me. You can go to educatorbarns.com. I have a contact form there. Or you can find me on Facebook and send me a message because I would love to have you uh, to join this conversation. Thank you so 